hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Two, one. Waking or sleeping, we shall be with you until our commentary is concluded. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome back to our Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I am Sai, and I'm here with my two great friends, Fraser and Joe, to do part two of Modern Undead. Say hello, guys. Hello, hello guys. I'm waving. I don't know why. No one can see me. <laughs> no one will see that. <laughs> no one will see my cosplay either. So there we go. <laughs> I, is I wish deliciously dressed up as Peter Davison right now. Mm-hmm. Pleasant open face. <laughs> you do have a pleasant <laughs> open face. Mm-hmm. It makes me wish I'd dressed up. Oh, well, you've come in black <laughs> with a chicken on your head. <laughs> what more do we want? Oh, uh, I, I, I've got, oh, there you go. I've got my cube. It's actually an adipose, but you know, oh. like, it'll do. Mm-hmm. There we go. We're all prepared. It's fine. <clears throat> so where did we leave this one? Uh, Turlo was about to kill the doctor. Is he going to succeed? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it's anyone's guess. <laughs> I think I might have guessed right, you know. There's a few more years of this show to Possibly. go. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's yeah. just Turlo now, you know, it's all about him from this point mm-hmm. on. <laughs> I was going to say so I was not going to say that now. No, go on. No, go on. Go on. Well, I was going to say the, the the other thirty years of the show is just companions coming to cadaver own, but oh, it's really... <laughs> <laughs> that's just well, I mean, <laughs> as we'll see in this this episode, the companions are very obviously used to seeing the Doctor as yeah. <laughs> <in> our... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're fucking stupid in this one. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, who's going to count us in? Well, I suppose I ought to, really, since I am apparently doing this one. So um, if you're ready, boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I mean, just check. Yes, Britbox is paused on the star face of Peter Davison, So, Okay, so here we go in five, four... Three, two, one, go. Off we go. It was a silly middle. Is that a cricket? Know, it's, it's something to do with cricket, isn't it? I don't yeah, know. I think it is. Why are you asking me? Well, because I was going to ask you, because you weren't cricket, I was going to say, have you got a silly middle? But, uh, you know, the joke's gone now. Sorry. Ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Speaking as we were about, about companions... Mm. Yeah, I've got a question for you too, gentlemen. Mm. How would you rank Peter Davison's companions? Low. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Off you go. Um. Well, as um, someone who was there at the time, um, I have to say, I always really liked Tegan. And I still really like Tegan. And I think Janet Fielding is wonderful. And I know she's not the most... Oh, look, they, they, yeah, they didn't kill the Doctor. No, it was, a, it was an incredibly <laughs> fortuitous get-out clause of a tiny explosion. Uh, yeah, so Tegan is an interesting character because 
she chooses to come back with the doctor and then moans i know she moans a lot but it's just something real about her that i really like and janet fielding gets a lot better as she goes along particularly her first two performances in logopolis and fall to doomsday are terrible and then obviously someone says janet love bring it down bring it down a bit come on ground it a bit more you remember and then that line reading sorry that line reading of what adric and t adric and nissa have gone looking for the master for the master <laughs> so, so so yes so tegan is top for me and then i think then it's really difficult because they're all shit nissa is nissa is just she's lovely but she's very, very dull. <laughs> and Sarah Sutton is great, but the character is, yeah. Yeah. And you've got Chameleon, who's just shit. So he's right at the bottom. Um, <laughs> um, so I think it's probably Tegan, Turlow, Nissa, Adric, Chameleon. Is the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to contradict you entirely. I just want but, to say, though, I love how Sai had to put Chameleon in there because he didn't want to put Adric last. Of course not. Because that's why it was difficult for Sai, because but he as, doesn't like putting people last in a rank. It's true. And as a child, I loved Adric. I loved them all because you know they what? were A lot of people have said that, Sai. A lot of people have said, yeah. as a child, they really... And so there's that kind we of, like, to him. inbuilt affection for Adric, even as adults. Yeah. As a child, I, I liked Wesley Crusher. Me too. Oh, Wesley except Crusher I wasn't was, a child. I was a Crusher teenager. was my sexual awakening, you know. Oh. Yeah. Well, don't, that, don't you judge me. Uniform. Oh my Sorry, God. sexual awakening <laughs> was that fella from Curse of Fenric. Exactly. Um, okay, ranking them, yeah? Uh, yeah so I would, say, I would put um, Nissa top because I think Ooh. Sarah Sutton and Peter Davison have the best chemistry as exemplified by their big finish stories later on. Spare parts, circular. All 500 of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think you'll find it's a thousand, actually. Um, <laughs> And I think uh, even though it's in kind of boring stories, I do like it when they're solo in um, a lot of, uh, sorry, a lot of Arkham Infinity and they get a load of time together in Snake Dance, but they're really good. Yeah, and they're really good together, aren't they? Then I would say it's Turlow because I think Mark Strickson's probably given the most interesting performance of the era. Then I would say it's Adric because I think... He works well, but it's just not in this era. He works well in season 18. Um, But as a whole, you know, there's a part where he worked really, really well. And I'm really sorry. I'm not including Chameleon. What a toss pot. Um, Tegan, I I just don't think Janet Fielding has any range whatsoever. I think she is one note. I don't find her particularly convincing. I'm very irritated when I watch her. She doesn't really want to be there which means I don't really want to be there because she's whinging all that, especially in season 20. She's whinging throughout season 20. Um, yeah, I just I just don't like Tegan at all. And it's irritating because Janet Fielding, as she plays Tegan with Big Finish, where they write her character with a lot of humour, a lot of genuinely funny humour, she's delightful. And it gives you a window into what could have been on TV. I think. And well, this is the problem with this era is that 
there isn't much humour. And I think we've got a cast who would really play that really well. Davison is great at comedy. And he's yeah. he uh, he's just not allowed to do that. It's just like a moratorium on anything that might be misconstrued as, as funny. I know we keep talking about Frontios, but that bit in Frontios where he's saying about Tegan being a defective android is yeah, hilarious. that's brilliant. And her look at him is fantastic. And do you remember that bit in Black Orchid where Nissa and Tegan are talking about the Charleston and like having fun together? And it's yeah. like, well, where's all this been, you know? Mm-hmm. I think in season 21, um, Peter Davison really finds the way of bringing the humour out through sarcasm. Yeah, you know he, he's very, he's, very dry, and he's very just. Oh, he's got that a nice line in quite dark. Yeah, witticisms. I always, I always feel that season twenty one is the no more fucks to give season. He knows he's going. He's just yeah. like, you know what? I've got. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to, you know, fine. If you're not going to give us funny lines, I'll just make me own. I'll just make them funny, you know. And front yoss and as well, like the awakening is just that. There's that bit where they're going up the stairs in the awakening and he's got the live bird behind him and she's like exposition and he's just like, uh-huh. And yeah. she goes, Oh my god, shouldn't we have it rather stop them? He's like, turns to my Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bit. But Davison is at his best when he's got a live bird with him. This is the <laughs> yeah, thing. In, in Kinder and in The Awakening, he is phenomenal. With an old Hang his on. doctor needed to be paired with a slightly older woman. You know what you're saying? And it would have been tremendous. You're saying he's at his best when he's not with his companions. Well, yes. I was watching Kinder <laughs> the other day because I'm watching season 19 for its 40th anniversary. So on the days it was broadcast, sort of. Um, and he's he's having so much fun in Kinder when he hasn't got any of his children to look after. <laughs> and he can just <laughs> be with someone who's a bit mature and have a great time. Well, that's great, isn't it? Because Nissa's having her lie down. Um, he's locked yeah. Adric in a box somewhere. <laughs> Tegan's yeah, off and doing Tegan's something. just having a snooze. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I think I, the reason I like Tegan is exactly the same, that she is very relatable. You know, she is she's one of these companions that isn't just um, full of the joys of being in the TARDIS. You know, when things go wrong, she calls it out. When she's not happy about something, she calls it out, which I think is very... Very relatable. Um, but also she's the only one that's different from the others. They yeah. all they all are just the same. They're you all know, super they all, smart. But they're all super high smart concept, young they? kids. They're all high you know, and, characters, like aliens. You know, say that again, sorry. They're all sort of high concept alien characters yes. in the press. And she's yeah. the only kind of modern day miss, isn't she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have Tegan in these stories, these stories would be a lot worse for it purely because she adds something to the regardless of, of whether you like um Janet Fielding's performance um I think Tegan as a character adds a dynamic to this the stories that you, you watched get. her on the behind the sofas and, or in the interviews where she goes look I'll talk about anything but my acting I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. my acting but you know what interestingly I think there's one story where she works extremely well and that is in the Five Doctors when she's paired up with Richard Herndall, and he ain't yeah, none of her shit. Yeah, that works. <laughs> she's really having none of his. And... Mm-hmm. So, and anyway, anyway, oh, if one I could just talk about the story for a moment, exactly. the one <laughs> companion that we should be talking about is the one yes, that's because this is back. his hero moment. 
This oh, when right. when I was seven, this was the most exciting sequence because you got to see all these monsters that I'd heard about and had never yeah. seen. Yeti, all the old Cybermen. Look. Have you noticed how they've given it like a sepia hue, so it almost looks like it's in colour? It's wonderful. It's (laughs) and Paddy Kingston's music is beautiful here. Yes, yes. It's it's just full of man. And we were talking about this at school the next day because there was a Dalek, and we hadn't seen a Dalek for so many years in Doctor Who. And there was the giant robot, (laughs) the K one robot. Yeah. So I got. I can remember vividly talking about this in in Mr. Ball's class as I was at the time. And yeah. And it's just that great. that beautiful way they've positioned the clip from the three doctors with the brigadier there. Yes. It's just lovely. It's so well done. Mine as well. One does he say one lump or one lump or two brigadier? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yes. Just just gets great I... lines like that sometimes, doesn't it? You remember the five doctors? Yeah. It's like, sorry. Mustache. Mustache. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, do you know what? I'm totally going to contradict myself because Tegan gets a great little subplot in this episode and it's doing, oh my God, hang on, hold on to your hat, Fraser. It's doing the Stephen Moffat timey-wimey thing of having two different time zones, one affecting another. It's actually using time travel for once. Oh, yes, it is. Which is this... incredibly rare at this point in the show's yeah. history. Yeah. And it, it it works so well the way that they balance the two plots between, you know, Tegan and early Brig and, you know, Doctor with later Brig remembering what's happening. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's a and that cutting where the where the the Brigadier remembers Tegan and then it cuts to him meeting Tegan yes. and things like That's that. That's why it works. It's so simply done. It one follows another with an explanation as we go that like children can watch this and completely understand what's going on. I would question, and I'm not going to go on a Muffet rant here. I'm not. But I would question that it's maybe a bit too complicated sometimes during the Muffet era, that he's doing very kind of timey-wimey stuff that's a bit too hard to get your head around. This is very simple and it's refreshing because of it. Yes. Yeah. And and of course, it solves unit dating because we now know when the stories were set. Hang on it's a second. It's currently stated on screen that the Brigadier left the army in 79. <laughs> or Sergeant Benton did. He left the army in no 76. Way. But Sarah's from 1980. Yeah, she could be. Perhaps he dropped her off and picked her up again for a bit. <laughs> God's sakes. <laughs> no, well, no, I'm not even going to open that can of worms. But I, well, obviously I did. But Was it this story that confused the unit dating thing? Because basically Sarah said in Pyramus Mars 1980, and then this came along and contradicted that. And that's where all the arguments I in. think so, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because there much. was always the theory that it was set a few years in the future. Yeah. It was always supposed to be in the 80s, wasn't it? And yes, then... I think that was the implication. But you you look at them and think, well, actually, no, they're set in the 70s. No one wore what Joe Grant was wearing in the 80s. Well, what on earth do you think? Like, if fans do, like, fitting everything into a nice, neat pattern... Yeah, like canonical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What on earth happened when the two doctors came with? Oh, yeah, the second doctor going on about the Time Lords. They might their heads must have exploded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a... always a way around it. That's yeah. so, like you, Sai. Keep a cool head. Exactly. Tegan. Well, I knew a Tegan once. <laughs> See, this is great. This is really yeah. good because you think, well, hang on. How did the Brigadier know Tegan? 
and he's then never met her. What's going on here? It is oh, fabulous then in the five then, doctors when he when he's like, oh, Mr. Vanka, Miss Smith. Yeah. All these companions <laughs> that he's met. He's met everyone. Yeah. And it's so, great. And Nicholas Courtney is really good because he plays the two brigadiers completely differently. So the sort of 77 brigadier is more like the brigadier we know. He's more yeah. gung-ho, yeah. he's more he's got the mustache. Twinkly. And he's got the moustache, yeah. And like visually, and so sort of feel, yeah. it's distinctive visually, isn't it? The two yeah. you can bring it in. Exactly. So then you're wondering, well, what has made 1983 Brigadier different to 1977 Brigadier? What's happened in between that has caused this? So what is it again when they touch each other in the last episode? Yeah, yeah, he loses yeah. his his memory. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. Sorry about that. But um. So I've got a question then. Um, okay. Attack of the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a story that gets a lot of stick because it's very continuity heavy and relies yep. on. Um, I don't buy into this myself, by the way, but it's 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 a lot of people criticize it because there's that much of the story's history in that plot that it makes it sort of hard for the nemesis of fandom the casual viewer to get into why doesn't this story get the same criticism because it's just as dependent on you know the backstory we haven't had the brigadier story in i think 10 years nine years I, whatever it, why it is, is this given a pass i think modern undead it leans into continuity i don't think the story is built out of continuity so it has its own original story of Maudrian trying to extend his life and the Brigadier, the Brigadier bit is kind of almost a bit of a subplot to that really and Tolo's introduction that's original as well whereas Attack of the Cybermen episode 2 is entirely constructed out of Doctor Who continuity I I, I do think it's not to the point where you know you can't follow the plot if you haven't seen the 10th planet you know, everything's kind of explained to you. Oh, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. I, I think the building blocks of Attack of the Cybermen are previous Doctor Who stories, whereas the building blocks of Mordred Undead are not previous Doctor Who stories. Am I making any sense? Probably not. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, I see what you mean. Yeah, I, yeah, I see what you mean. But the Brigadier, I think, adds an extra layer to this story, which yeah. an extra bit of intrigue in the way that maybe referencing the 10th planet and trying to destroy Mondas possibly doesn't because you don't ever see that. You do see the effects of the Brigadier and what he's been through. Whereas, um, to quote Flight for Entirety, the whole Mondas plot is word peril. It doesn't mean much because you never see Mondas. You never see anything to do with Mondas. It's just... Oh. So it's it doesn't really mean that you need to know about Mondas to access that plot. Where I mean, with this, it's I just feel like you know my introduction to the story was was the VHS in nineteen ninety two or ninety three or thereabouts. So this was absolute, you know, perfect bit of fan wank for me to lap up as a as a thirsty fan who is coming in and oh look. You know, doctors, monsters, brigs, yay, woo! Mm-hmm. You know, and it watching it back now, it's it kind of it doesn't have that effect on us now. So it leaves the story a little bit 
more mundane for me. You know, my, my relationship with the story has changed quite a lot over the years. You know, it was one that I was very fond of, you know, growing up. But now, you know, now that I've got access to every other Doctor Who story, it's a bit more... I don't know. There's, you know I, I, think I can there's see enough... the cracks in it more than, it, I, than I could you know, as a child. I think you're right, though. I think this is kind of like a in, in this season and in the era, this is a little bit of a forgotten... It's one of those stories that's kind of good, but people don't really talk about that much. So in this season, people talk about Snake Dance, they talk about Modern Undead, and if you include it, they talk about the Five Doctors. But this one kind of gets shuffled off to the side. Yeah, at the time, it was talked about a lot more than all the others. Really? Weirdly. I think because of the Brigadier and such affection for having him back, that, that it was... it. I can't remember. I think it. No, I don't think it. I can't remember whether it topped the season poll or not. Um, but anyway, it was one that was seriously liked a lot at the time, and I think I've always liked it because it's trying to do different things yeah. um, to the rest of the era. And again, I've when I got my first copy of this and saw it again in 1990. Um, after not seeing it for for seven years, it was one that I instantly really loved again. And I yes, Fraser, did were you going to ask you, a question there? Did you buy that from a Backstreet dealer? No, 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 no. This was from <laughs> from a bag of um, Betamax tapes um, from from my school friends. Um, it's still but, going, you know, yeah. size old dealer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but this this was one I was really excited to see again because I had such fond memories of it. So, yeah, it, it's. Do again, know, can, I've fallen out of love with it a bit, and then fallen back in love with it again. So, I can no. see another big difference between this and Attack of the Cybermen as well. Is I think this is kind of warm and nostalgic, so it looks back on the past very affectionately. Whereas Attack of the Cybermen is kind of nasty and mm-hmm. cold, and it's a bit ugly. It's it's a bit and it's graphic and. Yeah, I just think the tone of the two stories is really different as well. Yeah. Is, is it perhaps because one was written allegedly by Ian Levine and one wasn't? Maybe. <laughs> anyway, it's entirely possible. Apparently, according to the, um, I believe Ian Levine actually said at the time, you know, if you put this, set this in 1977, you will screw up the whole of. And they did it anyway. Yes. Which just goes to show you, no one listens to Ian Levine. Yeah. Well, do you no, know what? Right? Too. When Warriors of the Deep was written, Ian Levine wrote all reams of like none of this continuity is in line with the Sea Devils and the Silos, and it was like rewritten. And then he came back and was like, "No, now even this doesn't make." And do you know what? I've asked the scriptwriter, and I go, "You fucking write it, then." For God's sakes, you wanted to fit. Yeah. You never get yeah. fans yeah. involved <laughs> unless they're creative geniuses. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, little caveat mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the new audios. Exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you what. There's something I'm not a massive fan of season twenty as a whole. I think Archivity mm. and Terminus and the King's Demons are abominable. Each. Hello, time. Jason Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Um, but one thing I think it does really, really well, and I think. Eric's award is on a bit of a creative high is every story has 
a high concept idea that's really interesting. I don't think they're always written in a really interesting way. And they're certainly not always like directed in a particularly engaging way. But this has a really great idea at the heart of it. The, the, the thought of the Mordrin and his people using time, not technology, it all going hideously wrong and being like condemned to eternal life. And then the consequence that happens later with the doctor having to give up the rest of his lives in order for them to die. Those are big weighty yeah. ideas. Yeah. He essentially has to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I think Peter Grimwald has raised his game slightly from time. <laughs> <laughs> slightly. <laughs> But, but no, but yes, there's there's so many good concepts in this, and then we're kind of you know missing what's actually happening on the screen at the minute, which is where Mordrin is convincing Nissa that he's the Doctor and um, asking her to fly the TARDIS back to his, his, his starlight, which is again is another really good concept. The idea of um, they don't know who this guy is, and they've, they've yeah. thought he's he's the Doctor. And, and if you stop and you think about it, they've got absolutely no reason not to think that this guy. Exactly. You know, the doctor went in the transmat capsule. They, the transmat capsule arrived. They went in and found a burnt man in a nappy and obviously assumed that was the doctor. That yes. burnt makeup and, as well is really yeah. quite it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And you know, and it it's it's logic, you know, but it's it's again, it's something that's never been done before or since, is it? So it's really no, good. And it makes perfect sense. And they've cast fan baiting david collings who yeah. everyone at this time was saying would be a brilliant doctor off the back of sapphire and steel yeah. and he would have been a phenomenal doctor and they give you him a chance listen to, to four fathom five the big yes he's, oh that's a dark dark story that is, is evil as he's, fuck but he's really good he's really really good yeah it's, do you know what i so i can believe in the concept when he's human but when he's old spaghetti bolognese head that's yeah, when I it, get a little sort bit of like... ruined, isn't it? <laughs> well, again, it's you know, if if he's, I mean, they've seen like one regeneration. They've seen, you know, Tom fall off Jodrell Bank and turn into Peter, and then, mm-hmm. you know, what's to say that you know the the transmat hasn't done something to the Doctor? Yeah. And, and they deal and with it's... it, and they do that in the next episode, don't they? When yeah. when Mordred turns around and says, "Is a Gallifreyan human?" And at least they don't yeah. have them all being really naive, like Tegan's determined. That it's not. Yeah, Tegan is. So yeah. there's someone who's actually saying, "Yeah, I don't believe this from a minute." But mm-hmm. what is that spaghetti bolognese all about on his head? I mean, it literally looks like pasta sauce and a load of pasta on mm-hmm. the top, doesn't it? Is that what this it is, is the second version because the first version was rejected and they had to film all the scenes again. What was the first version? Um, it wasn't as good. It the the makeup wasn't wasn't great apparently. So it was very similar concept, but they needed to. To refine it and JNT just said you have to do this again. This oh. doesn't this is not up to scratch. Amazing. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's supposed to be his brains, isn't it? But it doesn't look like that. No, no. It's it's a hard sell, isn't it? But mm-hmm. it looks like it's come out of you know Bella Pasta or something like that. <laughs> I've had worse meals than that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what the Mordrin's head? <laughs> no, in Bella Pasta. 